Welcome to the Pain of Scale, the Notion podcast exploring the most critical challenges for venture-backed tech entrepreneurs along the startup, grow-up, and scale-up journey. Every two weeks, we speak to founders, experts, and venture capitalists from around the world about their experiences. Hi, I'm Paul, back with Stephen, and uh, we're still running our Pain of Scales episodes recorded before the COVID crisis, but this is the last one. Yeah, episode eight, and it's a big one. We're talking category design. We're talking carving out your place in the world, standing out on the crowded shelf with (laughs) Jennifer Johnson. It was a great conversation. She's quite compelling insightful and it's a great episode i think yeah it is and i really love when she said that she brought all the people in the room to refocus the company into what they were doing and i think in, in a time of crisis is it's absolutely necessary because we tend to sometimes go on the fringes and try a lot of stuff and you need to refocus right now yeah and she asks my favorite question what problem do we solve yeah exactly and is it the most important problem that we could solve right now and yeah. um the, the power of that, as she was describing, for executive and then organizational alignment is without doubt one of the biggest benefits that you'll see from a category design project. So it's very straightforward, but it's very powerful. So we'll listen to it. And no matter if that's the last episode of that series, we have an upcoming one. You'll be listening to it in about two weeks. We're going to talk about the crisis this time. It's going to be fascinating. Again, Stephen and I interviewing great people. So tune in. But for the moment, let's listen to JJ. Hi, and we are back. I'm so happy that we're doing this episode because I was talking to Jennifer, our guest of the day, before we started recording it. She's absolutely fascinating. Hi, Stephen. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it too. And and actually, the, the preamble conversation has just really kind of whet my appetite for this too. So today we're discussing category design. And I promise you, it comes up in every conversation with every tech company we invest in. How do I design, develop, and dominate my my category? And, you know, I think there's so much to be learned from so many different industries. That's why I'm, you know, I'm really excited to talk to Jennifer because she's been working in this space for quite a few years with some fascinating companies. Just to put it into context, you know, why is this so important? Because... You know, every company that, that a VC invests in should, by their very essence, be doing something which is fundamentally distinctive and, and different. Now, they may be displacing an incumbent, but nevertheless, they've got to stand out in a very, very crowded industry and take more than their fair share. So they're starting from scratch. By definition, there is no category that they're going after. They're doing something different. So the challenge of how they design, develop, and dominate the category is critical to success. You know, we've talked about category design on a number of occasions in this program. And our guest today is Jennifer Johnson, JJ, as you would rather be known. She's no stranger to this challenge. She's a three-time CMO and a category designer in the enterprise software industry. And, you know, I think we're so fortunate to speak to people like JJ because certainly in the European tech ecosystem, that kind of repeat experience just doesn't exist. She's currently CMO at Tenable, which is a NASDAQ-listed company in the cybersecurity space. She was part of the IPO that happened in 2018. She held CMO roles at Tanium and Coverity, which is now Synopsys, I believe. And she's also a category design evangelist for Play Bigger, of whom we are big fans and enormously grateful to for their support. So Jennifer, welcome. Hello, how are you? Yeah, I'm good, thank you. I'm good. Let's just dive straight into it. I mean, I'm coming straight out of a conversation about this, but what is category design 
And why is it so important? So you actually brought up a couple of really good points of what is category design? Why is it important in your intro? The fundamental premise of category design is that you are disrupting some or challenging the status quo. That could mean the status quo of solving a particular problem. That could mean that the incumbents that are trying to solve a particular problem, their approach for it is no longer sufficient, but it all starts with disrupting and challenging the status quo and providing a vision for a new way to work or live depending on on what you do. So why do you need it? You need it because if you're doing something and you even said it, if you're a company that is starting out, is in growth mode, the founders saw a problem that wasn't being solved or was no longer able to be solved the old way, right? So that's just kind of always the premise of a founder story. So by default, you're, you're challenging something. But if you walk into an existing market, you're walking into an agenda that somebody is, the incumbent has already set. And so you have to shape a new space for your vision for the future and your new way of solving that problem. But it all starts with the problem. And, and so, so why you need category design is, you know, some people call it cut above the noise. All that's true. But category design is more than branding. It's more than messaging. It's a different way to solve a problem. And I keep saying the word problem intentionally because it all is focused on not the solution, but you have to be clear on the problem that you're solving and you're proposing a new way to solve it. And so category design is not just a buzzword. It's what everybody needs, but it's like how what being a data-driven marketing team was in the last 10 years, right? But why people need it is because there's so many companies and so many companies getting funding, which is great. And all of these markets though are getting so crowded that, that it's really hard to go in and, and effectively challenge the incumbent in the market that they have created because they have created it. You have to chart something new, but you have to be clear on the problem you're solving first. Because if you're not clear on the problem you're solving, then how can you be clear on your new way of actually solving it and your vision for solving it? So it's really, really important I always talk about category design as the missing skill in the CMO's arsenal. You know, great marketers come from everywhere. They can come from brand. They can come from demand generation and being more analytical, which was kind of the, the hot skill to have over the last 10, 15 years. Now it's shifting to what I call the third wave of CMOs, which is really the category market creators. And it's no longer about marketing with an ING. And that's important. You need to be able to track your leads and track your pipeline and make sure you have an operational process and your digital programs are humming and all that. You need to do all that. But there is a more strategic role that the CMO will play as a category creator and market creator that transcends marketing even. It's, it's really a company strategy. And so that's probably why you're hearing a lot of CEOs talking about it. We need a category because it really is your strategy. It's a topic I'm obviously passionate about, as you can probably tell from my voice, but it's super important that companies embrace this. And I think the CMO has never had a better seat at the table to actually drive strategy than they do today because of category design. So when does they start? You know, when is the right time for the founder to start the journey? My point of view is there is no one ideal time. I think there's different moments in a company's life cycle where it makes sense to build a category. There's also some challenges that come with it too, right? So, I mean, logically you would think, well, if you're a startup or you know, you're going in and you're disrupting an existing market or incumbent, that's the time to build your category so you come out in the right way with the right story and differentiate yourself from the beginning. True, 100%. 
that is a perfect time to do that. The flip side of that though, not saying you shouldn't do it, but the flip side of that is that you may not have the air cover, you may not have the brand recognition to go up and challenge the status quo. And by the way, this is not a marketing campaign that lives for like three to six months and then you move on to something else. You have to be committed to it. And you know, given that startups many times, they have to be dynamic, they have to be agile and move. You, know, you have to also understand that category design also has to be agile and move with it. So I think there's no perfect time and there's no one right time. I think you have to understand the pros and cons of where you're at because there's a lot of biases. Biases in how people think about you, how people think about your market, how people think about your role in the world. And the longer you're around, the more biases that the market has. And so you have to work that much harder to overcome those. Can you talk us through kind of how a category would take shape? I mean, you've been through this three different times. Is there a kind of standard pattern to the process? There's no one size fits all, but there's a couple signs when you know something good is happening. So the first is what I'd call more of a branding messaging indicator, but it's a good thing is that other vendors in your market or in other adjacent markets start leveraging your category name or your positioning or start even using the words that you use because what people see from the outside, whether it's your customers, whether it's industry analysts like Gartner, they're looking to the vendors in that space to understand what kind of the next wave is and helping solve these problems that they have. So the more people in the market, the more companies in the market that are talking about it, the more validation it is, right? It's not just your company waving the flag over time, right? And so that's one of the things you want to see is other companies in your market or adjacent market starting to mirror your category and and your point of view. The second would be when your customers start using it. And when I say using it, I mean, it could take the shape of new roles in an organization. A lot of times when you're shaping a category, at least in enterprise software, it creates some kind of new function or a new process or a new role within an organization. And that's a telltale sign is when you have new people with new titles start to pop up. Another sign would be Everyone says, well, when you get an MQ from Gartner, that's when you know you have a category. And what I will say to that is good luck. If that's what you think that building a category is, you're going to be waiting a long time. And I'm not saying it because the analysts aren't influential and don't matter. That's not why I'm saying that. But Gartner, and I'm going to use Gartner as as the catch-all for all analysts, they don't view a market until a market is a market. What do I mean by that? They track a market when a market has multiple vendors in it, when there is an established play there, they're not going to create an MQ with a category of one or two, right? And so they wait until the market has been established. So if you're the category creator and you wait until Gartner creates that market, you likely aren't the one who's shaping the criteria for that market. So if you're going to use a firm like Gartner to go out there and help you validate the market because you have a magic quadrant, for example, you better be darn sure you're the one that's writing those capabilities and that criteria document with Gartner or somebody else is. And so what I'd say for the analyst is, this is one of the biggest things I've learned over the last few years is you have to understand where they're at and be really honest about where they're at. How do they see the world? How do they see you in that world? And where do you want them to get to, which is ultimately your category? And if where they're at is A and where you want to get them to is Z, 
getting them from A to Z might never be possible, but you might be able to get them from A to E, right? And so if you can move them a little bit towards your point of view where you put yourself and you get them to move the market just a little bit more in your direction where you have a leadership position, that's a win. And really without divulging too much of what we're doing here at Tenable, that's the strategy that we're really taking with the analysts is getting them to move from vulnerability management, which is our core market, to what we're calling cyber exposure, cyber exposure management. They're not going to create a cyber exposure management magic quadrant. But if we can get them to move to taking more of a risk-based lens to the vulnerability management market, because our whole point of view is about moving to being able to manage and measure risk, that's a win for us. So look, I think there's multiple ways you see it. And it doesn't mean that like the MQ from Gartner is the only answer is probably the biggest thing I can leave you with. Do you think there are kind of major building blocks, but also kind of dead ends or pitfalls that companies should be aware of? Yeah. You know, Playbigger talks about it in their book a lot called Gravity. And I think that is the perfect way to describe it. Usually what happens is you go out with this big category and it's the new shiny toy and the big message and everybody grabs onto it and hopefully it's the right one and the market says the customers say, yes, that's right. I want that vision. I like that. And then you have to make sure though that you continue to deliver on it and fulfill it because your category vision is going to be bigger than what you have today. So anyone who's building a category who thinks it's a kind of a one and done, like go out, announce the category and then kind of let it take its shape naturally. It's not going to do that. It takes care and feeding and you have to be the one shepherding it. And that means making sure that your product strategy is in line and that you're continually showing momentum and delivery on your product strategy towards that vision. Because if you don't deliver on the product fast enough, your vision becomes a message, a marketing message, and you don't want that. The beginning, it's okay. Over time, that's not okay, right? You need an ecosystem. And so if you can fulfill your entire category vision on your own, your category vision is not big enough. You need to have an ecosystem to do it. And you have to have a vibrant ecosystem in your alliances team, your employees, your sales team, you know, sometimes what happens is they'll say, if it's too far out and your product's not delivering, then the sales team comes back and says, yeah, but we can't sell that. We need to sell what we have today. And they kind of revert the message back. So there's a lot of things that happen. And a lot of them are actually internal in your company over time around what I call gravity, pulling you back away from your original category vision. And so the CMO's role, I believe over time is to make sure that it's going to happen. So you have to spot it and you have to try to course correct it. And so you really have to be a change agent in your company because there's going to be a moment where you have to maybe do some controversial things internally to get people on board. And that's why I always say the CEO has to be really the, the true shepherd of the category because ultimately it does become a company movement and transformation journey. Those are probably the biggest, I wouldn't say pitfalls, they're just the realities of building the category. But again, I think it's, you know, aligning your company strategy, your product strategy, your go-to-market strategy all together. If you can actually do that around, use the category to do that, that's where the magic happens. And it sounds so easy, but anyone who's been an executive in a company that's listening to this knows that is much easier said than done to have all those things aligned. Yeah. So on that note, where do you suggest people start? Say, for example, the CEO I was just speaking to saying, look, we're carving out a new space. We believe we're doing something different. What are the kind of the, the steps that you would suggest a first time it takes? So the first thing that I did, and I would always recommend to anyone, is get every executive in the room. And then if there are others who are influential or can add a lot of value to the process, get them in the room and get everyone on the same page. And the first workshop was one question. What problem are we solving? I guarantee you, if you ask 10 people, 
at a senior level in your company, you're going to get 10 at best, 10 similar, but somewhat different answers. <laughs> and yeah. at worst, you're going to get 10 different answers. And so getting everyone aligned on the problem is really important. And then the second session was, okay, this is the problem I heard. Do we agree? Yes. Okay. Well then what's the answer? Does that really like address and give honor to the problem that we believe we're solving? It helps people get to a decision by getting crisp on the problem helps you get to the answer, right? And really the science of, of category design, and you can read the Play Bigger book and they talk about creating a point of view and how to create a point of view. And that's important because that's your story and what they call a blueprint. Some people call it a architecture, and that's kind of how you evolve to your platform and how you evolve with your ecosystem to help fulfill the category. Like there's these, these core pieces of, of what I call assets that you, you build, right? That become the anchors for the category, but that's the science behind it. The real art behind the category design process is executive alignment and change management and weeding out anyone who's not on board and getting everyone on the same page. And that's why, again, the CEO should love this process and love the CMO for driving this process because it's helping create company alignment. And so anyone who's going through this, understand your role is more than just taking people through a workshop, even though that's part of it. Your role is really a change agent and making sure you're checking in with your CEO throughout the process so he or she is comfortable and on board with it. Because again, they have to be the steward of it. So which companies or which people do you think have done or are doing a good job on this? I have to say, looking at what Mark Benioff in, in Salesforce has done over the last 20 years you know, obviously he's the founder and CEO, but I mean, I would also say he's the best category designer out there in the industry, right? I'm, I'm just focusing on enterprise tech. If you think about what they did back 20 years ago, they sought out to solve the problem of cloud, really. And they used CRM as the way to do it, right? Because that's where his background was and they were going to disrupt Siebel systems. And they framed this problem brilliantly around the problem wasn't, the, the product, it was the deployment method, right? And that if you have to have software, you're on-premise, you're, you're spending a lot of money on it. You have to bring in an army of consultants. There's all these challenges and costs associated with it. And if, if you look at their website, even from like 15 years ago, like he saw this bigger vision even beyond CRM back then, right? Like he was actually creating this bigger system of, of record to help solve the on-demand computing, cloud computing problem. And, you know, it starts with the control point of it all is CRM, but you look at like what they've done over the years is they started with Salesforce automation and they expanded it out to marketing and services and support. And now they have analytics on top of it. They brought Tableau, they have integration to build this enterprise platform with MuleSoft. And I think that takes them beyond CRM, even though that's not what Benioff is. I think Benioff has a super secret, bigger agenda than yeah. anyone even knows, right? But it's amazing to see, like he had this vision and he brilliantly executed it. And I was reading this, this article I found from the year 2000. It was right after they launched their company and went out on a stealth mode. And it was a Bloomberg article and the headline was called The Ant at the Picnic. The whole article was that when Salesforce launched, they actually, I don't know if any of you know, they had the no software was their big tagline for a long time. And that was their whole thing of like going to the clouds, no software, right? No on-prem clunky, expensive software. And they went to Siebel Systems user conference and they stood outside and held a protest, a no software protest where they had these people with these big signs that said no software. I mean, here's like, this is like a startup company coming out of stealth mode, right? Taking on Siebel. And 
Bloomberg called them the ants at the picnic. Like they were just like this little ant at Siebel's picnic and they called them an SMB tool. I mean, it was amazing to see the words they even used to describe Salesforce 20 years ago. And now look at them. They are a $160 billion market cap company. It's pretty amazing. So I think if anyone wants to look at how category design is done right, go look at the history of Salesforce. And I don't think they're done yet. I think Benioff has a bigger play around cloud that's beyond CRM. I, I kind of got this picture of Mark Benioff with a sandwich board. <laughs> he hired people to do just that. <laughs> Surely he did it himself. As we were talking, I was looking to see if I could find an image. <laughs> it's a great, great example. And I think it's the scale of thinking that he led right from the very beginning, but with this overarching concept of a, of a category that was so much bigger than anybody else really envisaged. That's right. The Salesforce CRM story is probably like what I call the holy grail of category design. But, you know, I think there's companies that are out there, you know, building categories on all different kinds of, of scales. I think what ServiceNow has done, I mean, these are, these are bigger companies, right? But I think ServiceNow also is a great textbook example. It's very similar to what Salesforce did. They had a cloud-based version of a service desk in the IT world and they disrupted IT service management and then they kept expanding. Their vision is to expand it out beyond IT to be the, the service management company and workflow company for all of these different functions around the company. So it's, it's kind of very similar in many ways to what Salesforce is doing. You see that with a lot of the cloud companies that are coming in. I think for anyone who's who's got a cloud company, I think that's a great play to look at. Like, how are you disrupting the on-premise world, right? Because we know everything's moving to cloud. Yeah. JJ, it's been fascinating talking to you. It really has. And, you know, I, I'm so grateful to you for spending the time with us and giving us some of the insights from your experience. It's absolutely invaluable. Before we do wrap up, actually, is there anything else you felt I should have asked you or you wanted to say? The only thing I can say, if there is any CMO out there listening to this, I think we're at this inflection point of the role of the CMO. I think every CMO should like look to themselves and say, what kind of CMO am I? Or what CMO do I want to be? Do I want to be the chief marketing officer, which I believe is, is more and more becoming the operational demand gen, the, the analytics type of CMO of marketing, which, which is needed. I'm not saying that's not needed. And I'm not saying that's any less important. But I, I do think there is a bigger strategic category market creation. So being the chief market officer, that CMOs will either be marketing or market. And I think category design is, is your playbook to become the chief market officer, which I believe is a much more strategic role that the CMO will continue to play over the years. So look, this is my call to action for every CMO. Decide what kind of, of CMO you are, market or marketing. JJ, thank you so much. Really appreciate your time. Thank you, guys. Okay. Thank you. Remember, you can find an in-depth write-up of this interview, along with the dozens and dozens we've done on the Notion website at notion.vc under resources. If you like the show, please subscribe and rate us on Apple Podcasts or follow us on Spotify and Google Podcasts. Thank you.